Guys, welcome back to the Built for Life podcast. I'm back in my seat, I'm back in my throne after Jen D thrown me in the last episode. But we are still here with our lovely team members and guests. Give us a little cheer in the background. <laughs> so last time we had a client success panel, this time we've got a coaching panel. There is no holds barred here, right? Doesn't matter what you want to ask. How in depth it is, we will tell you the fucking truth, right? Doesn't have to be training related, doesn't have to be growth related, doesn't have to be related to anything that we've spoken about today. Even if you want to know some fucking fun facts, we will tell you. <laughs> Rue is going to be kinder to some degree, not fully truthful because some of the stuff would get us all jailed. Um, so me and Jen will be fully, fully transparent with you. Rue will pull back. So has anyone got any questions to start? Dana has the microphone. Well, you could train me something I'm not. <laughs> well, <laughs> something fucking mental. Simon, how are you doing, mate? So, where, where do you see this programme over the next five years? Oh, very good question. Um, just for me? Perfect. So, over the last five years, if you reflect where we actually came from five years ago, it was before lockdown, I was in the gym floor. Training people just for body composition, it wasn't fulfilling whatsoever. I always wanted to lean into something a bit more meaningful, a bit more hard-hitting. And we are definitely the first coaching process, the coaching program in the marketplace that realistically is delivering a high level of neuroscience and behaviour-based coaching that is transforming people's lives. Like, it's always so funny when I look on Instagram and you see people saying, oh, best PT in the game, best coach in the game. People used to say that to me when I was fucking shite, right? When I was shite. Just because I was maybe relatable, I was still a nice guy, but I never believed it about myself until probably maybe the last 12 months or so. So this program in the next five years, fuck, five years is going to be, we've only planned 12 months, but let's say, let's, let's plan five we years. Have vision, we have a vision. So realistically, the vision for where we're going to go is to be the number one coaching program in the country for behavior change, neuroscience, um, and leadership. Realistically, that's why we're talking architect, student, and then leader, because we want you guys to be a leader in your own life. And we understand that. The fitness industry is massively changing, right? It's massively more sophisticated now than it's ever been before. People can smell bullshit a mile away. People know that they've tried Slimming World before. They've tried gym floor PTs that are telling them that they just need to work harder. You guys are becoming more sophisticated. It's becoming more revolutionized to look deeper into yourself and all the research that is now backed in the fitness industry shows that anyone that wants any form of sustainability within their life when it actually comes to transformation physically comes down to their identity change. That's why we focus on identity change. Obviously not just purely. We focus on developing your identity throughout the stages of the program that we've discussed today. And that means that we need to keep on growing in levels of intelligence. It means we need to keep on bringing more staff members on because we do want to be a one-stop shop for every single need that you can. And obviously I'm getting to a place now within my career that I'm always going to be involved in the process. But I have a team to manage. I have a business to manage. I've got so many different parts of it to manage that I want to be able to position myself in this program for the things that people need me for instead of being a jack of all trades. So our future hires are going to be specialists in their own field, just like Rue, obviously sports and exercise degree. Um, Jen, of course, with her psychology degree and also um, your, your accreditation with your coaching. It will now be on to nutritionists. It will be on to people who can look deeper into different forms of your life that can help you in different ways that we can't and that are more specialised. Literally, we are just going to keep on offering you guys more and more and more and more. And we genuinely want to change the, the coaching industry with the way that they do things because, again, like I said earlier on, we live, all of us, with integrity, with a level of honour. And it really fucking pisses me off seeing people not 
being ethical with the way that they work. And don't get me wrong, people have to go through the process of failing and mucking up and fucking up to get there because I was the same. But essentially, we want to help people fast track it and we want to take what we are learning consistently through our implementation and giving it to you guys so that we can give it to other coaches as well. So that realistically, the frameworks that we use, the approach that we use, the fucking fitness industry uses them. So that's what it's going to be. Thanks, mate. Dream big. Jesus. <laughs> There's so many hands. Thanks. This is for everyone. So tell us the favourite thing about your job that might surprise us. Nice. You would first have to think for it. That might surprise you. Um, no, I'll tell you something that might surprise you if you maybe don't know me that well, but I absolutely love like see stuff like this because I am such a control freak. See at events, he'll tell you I'm a fucking nightmare at events. I'm like, right, we're doing this, we're doing that, and what's the detail and what are we doing next? And see when we're speaking in that podcast, what we're speaking about then and have you done those slides and have you done those notes, right? And I'd literally just harass him for about two weeks. Um, so I absolutely love doing behind the scenes stuff and making sure things run smoothly. That's why you've seen me running out like back and forwards all day to make sure that there's water. Because I like like the particular details of behind the scenes stuff, making sure things run smoothly. Um, which you probably wouldn't know if because I, I stand up here and behave like this is my event and I own the full shot when I'm talking. And you would assume that's the bit that I love the most and I do love it. Um, but I love the behind the scenes stuff and I love even just like all of the kind of behind the scenes work that I do in the programme, it probably looks like I just show up and talk to you, but I do actually do quite a lot of behind the scenes work. Um, so that, and I love, I love thinking about what are the, what are the things that you are all battling with most, or what are the things that you need to know the most? How do I take from my understanding and my knowledge and make it accessible? Like I think a lot of the time when you go on a personal development journey and you go on a journey of growth, there is so much information out there and sometimes in concept and as theories, like it makes a lot of, like it makes sense, but you struggle to apply it to yourself and you're like, yeah, that's great that I know that, but actually what do I do with this information? I feel like where I bridge the gap is helping you to understand this is what this actually means. This is how this shows up in your behaviour, this is how I change it. Um, so although although I work probably in the kind of more emotional softer side I do everything really logically and really processy um, because I just love anything that exists in a process or a sequence or a pattern I can't help myself so I that's probably two two things that maybe aren't as obvious but anything to do with exerting control and details I'm your woman what was the question again <laughs> What were you, something you love about your job that might surprise everyone? Um, I think it's through the process of coaching other people. You kind of end up coaching yourself as well. It's a good, it's a good means of kind of keeping your own head screwed on. Like if you're telling someone else to do something, you have to be doing that yourself or else like you're not leading from the front in that situation. And as well, kind of the amount of different <coughs> people I've talked to with, like, like something I've got, ADHD, like the amount of the, the opportunities I've had to talk to people going through the same process, obviously, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm going through a certain process myself, the same as you guys are, the same as they are, everyone's at a different level, and it's interesting to be able to talk to people who do kind of 
have um, slight neurodivergencies about the same struggles and same issues which possibly other people might not be able to relate to and that's one side of it that I find really rewarding is being able to <clears throat> maybe help someone who is not as far ahead with their journey of like realization in ADHD that's something that I take a lot of pride in being able to have a conversation around but then also things which other people with ADHD have realized in themselves and that affect them things that I haven't realized in myself so it's a process of kind of two-way learning I, I am able to uh, give guidance and give my knowledge in my areas of expertise but then I'm also able to get knowledge and get different bits of information from you guys as well so it's, it's a good opportunity for me to continue to grow as a person and as a coach myself which is probably the most rewarding thing for me. For me, you guys probably know I love structure, I love routine, um, I love gamifying what I do. So I'm not too sure if any of you guys gamify things, but I gamify things in a way that gets shit done. So I gamify the way that I structure my days, the amount of clients I'm going to speak to, the, the, the amount of time it's going to take me to reply, um, how many tasks I'm going to get through. So you, you, you end up getting bored with doing things consistently. Everyone does, right? Think of your own jobs. Like it becomes monotonous, it's no longer as exciting, it doesn't give you that much of a kind of burst and a fucking get up and go kind of mentality. But for me, that's how I keep that mentality consistently, I gamify it. So how can I beat myself yesterday? If I had this hour's fear that I wasn't actually spending focusing on anything, how many more clients can I touch point? How many more people can I pester? <laughs> how many more uh, tasks in the back end, admin tasks can I get done? Can I do anything for the team? Can I pick it up? How can I keep gamifying this to get better each and every single day throughout the week and then reset it week to week? So it allows me to feel as if I'm winning something at the end of the week, even though it's nothing, it's just my own praise. <laughs> but that's a good way to go about your business. Like I always loved games and always used to think about your ability to go to a new level always required you to get better to go to that level in the game, right? Remember click completing like a game on the fucking PlayStation or the Game Boy or whatever, you would fucking, you'd be ecstatic. So I'm like, right, well, I want that same level of achievement day to day. So as Ru was saying earlier on, it, it kind of ties in very well with understanding where you're achieving things day to day and recognizing that and giving yourself the praise for it. Because when I gamify it in that way, I'm always working towards something that I can win. And then if I lose, I just say, okay, cool, I've got tomorrow to do it. So it always allows me to feel like I'm, I'm playing a game and I've got life after life after life that I can use. So that would probably be me. Um, I don't even know who this is for, but what advice would you give to someone that's been on a initially a really strong trajectory that's taken a dip <laughs> and struggling to get back on that initial tra trajectory they were on? So I think um, the, the advice that I would give the person first and foremost is to understand like the key components of change because this is precisely how, how change works. I think a lot of the time when people think about the process of change, you think about the thing that you're working towards, right? So that's the thing that becomes in your mind and you think all I need to do is get all of this information and go from A to B, right? You actually never really factor in the thing going wrong. You'll you'll be driven by the self-doubt, you'll be driven by the negative beliefs, you'll be driven by previous evidence of I'm not going to be able to do this, right? But when you're having those good days and when you're feeling focused, you then get evidence back that, oh my God, I'm quite good at this, I'm getting there, right? That then sets an expectation for me to be successful, this is how it has to be, 
right? So you create that expectation, you create your own standard. Then when you start to do any less than that, you tell yourself, oh my God, I'm failing. I'm not actually able to get to this change, right? The reality is, is that change and transition happens in two different levels. I've done a training on this that some of you guys might be familiar with. The external change happens at roughly twice the rate of the internal transition. So how you transition internally happens at a much slower gradual pace than the external change. So this happens quite a lot for quite a lot of people who go through like a substantial fat loss journey is they'll maybe say things like, I know that I look different, but I still feel like the same person. I feel like my, my person that I'm on the inside hasn't caught up with the person that I'm on the outside. Or even when you're living and breathing this process and these behaviours, sometimes it can feel like, but have I actually changed? Has this person inside me actually changed? The key thing to all of this is to understand what's important to me now. The, the thing that I watch happen to quite a lot of people when they're at this stage is that they're focused on what got them to here. Right? And how do I pick back up what got me to here? The reality is, is that what's going to get you to there is going to demand more from you and require more for you and uh, from you. And the reasons that for you doing it in the first place just might not matter to you anymore. There's so many people who join this process focused and intent on a fat loss goal. They maybe get halfway through it and go, that's actually not important to me anymore. I'm quite happy now in my body. I feel confident in my skin. This is now more important to me. And remembering that this is the infinite game. Like you never ever finish this. You never ever complete this. You should never ever reach your full potential because that is so fucking boring. Like why would you want to actually reach your full potential and just stay there and just live there? So a huge part of the reason why I asked every single one of you in the panel, what are you working towards now? Because the reality is unless you know that you have got something else to head for, that's when you stay in the lull and that's when you start to, to go backwards. So redefining what's important to me for the person that I am now and the person that I'm becoming in the future and letting go of old things that actually no longer feel important to you and no longer serve you, but always set more of those unrealistic goals. More of the, I want your goals to be so fucking unrealistic that you truly, truly believe that there's no way that you can ever do it. That's the only way that you will pull yourself out of this perception of I was doing well and I'm struggling to pick it back up. That's when you start to move into actually this is the infinite game of life and I'm going to the next level. Just add two cents to that. Remember, as you grow through this process, you're turning into a different person on a consistent basis based upon the things that you achieve, right? You should be revisiting your values on a three, six, nine, 12 month basis to understand who you are now. I don't have the same values as I did 10 years ago. I don't have the same values that I did a year ago. I actually spoke in Belfast on Tuesday about the fact that after I get married, I felt like my values changed there and then. Instantly after getting married, the next day I was thinking to myself, all these thoughts were going through my head of, how do I want our life that we've just started to be moving forward? Like we've been together for like six years, right? But after we get married, it was like, okay, this is the start of our life together. What changes do I need to make? Do I want to keep on working in this direction? Is this sustainable for me? And things completely changed and my values transformed pretty much within that second, but I can only catch them and understand them because I revise my values so often that you can feel that shift and change. So if you are doing something initially, from the value of, of trying to be validated, for example, recognition, you might be wanting recognition, that's why you start this process, but then six months down the line, you're giving yourself the recognition, you don't, you don't want recognition anymore from anyone else, your values have shifted and changed, so now the things that you've done for the recognition might not be the things that you want to do anymore. So you always have to pull back, revise, and look at what it is that you now value based upon the fact that you've transformed, because as you go through each stage, like we discussed, you should be transforming in your values, because your values are who make up you as a person. I always like to describe the fact that if you feel out of sync with yourself and your actions and you start to 
really create a destructive relationship with yourself again when you felt like you were in a good place, it's probably because you, your actions and your values are not aligned. And that's where you want to go. Do you want to add anything? No. <laughs> <laughs> Who's next? <laughs> Hello. Um, there seemed to be a kind of commonality and a theme of like the most successful clients, uh, most like the panel members earlier on, that a lot of the goals seem to be running orientated. I know you always joke that you don't need to run, but there's a definite theme in the group of that. Is there a particular reason? I'm a non-runner, obviously. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's exactly what we said in the framework earlier on. It's a performance goal, and the performance goal that these guys like and enjoy is running. So performance goals are always going to trump body composition goals purely because body composition goals are fucking boring. They're boring. I remember when I used to just focus solely on body composition, when I was just focusing on the bodybuilding, I was the most volatile man you'd ever meet. I looked like I was crushing it in the gym, but people would always come up to me and be like, you look like you're gonna kill someone because I was just raging inside, right? You're trying to achieve a particular outcome, the scales fluctuate, you don't have as good a session, you're basing all your, your worth on like the outcomes that you have in your session, you're not taking into consideration the stress you've had, the poor sleep you've had, how underfueled you are, how poorly recovered you are. So then you're going in and trying to hit numbers that you were trying to hit, say, last week, and you become volatile, raging then you maybe emotionally eat, then it's like, for fuck's sake, I've just done even worse. I need to go back in and try and recoup what I've done here. Everyone here is probably going to relate to this to some degree if they've been there, right? So that was all, that was all physical, like body composition based. When I then went purely performance based, stopped caring about like how I looked. I, I hold a fucking great physique. Yes, I'm smaller than when, what I was when I was a bodybuilder, but I'm more functional, I'm fitter, I feel better. It's great from a, a release perspective because I've got so many responsibilities now in comparison to when I was training to be a bodybuilder. And it doesn't mean I'll, go, I'll not go through like muscle building processes again in the future. Like I went through one last year, so I get sick and lost a ton of weight. But I'll continue to do that because I know that that's for my overall health. Like I'm thinking about sustainability for myself. I want a long life with the people in my life. Like I want to live till I'm like fucking 90, right? Or 100. I want to be that guy that you see on fucking lad bible running a marathon when he's 95 i want to be that guy right but it's because i value experiences and because i value experiences i want to have as many experiences in my lifetime as possible and in order to do that i need to train for it i need to look after myself for it but also the performance goal that comes with running and actually doing like different fitness events means that i can travel to new places and have new experiences you know what i mean and people think new experiences just means going fucking country to country it doesn't like I can I want to go country to country but I want to fucking do the things that I love when I'm there right so think about it more from a performance based goal and lean into it because like I said you're not going to go through this self mastery competency if you don't and look at what it is that you can maybe find for yourself that isn't running if you don't like running that could be something to work towards we are probably no doubt next year going to enter a boatload of high rocks teams if everyone here is up for it um, as a community, as a built for life community. So even doing that is something small to begin with. It should be in February again in Glasgow. It means that we can do that together and then it can give you a taste of what can be based upon the atmosphere that you enter into and how much benefit it gives you back. I think also in relation to why kind of so many people are running and running consistently now as well is because it is a means of us to get people to step out of their comfort zones at the start of well as well. A lot of people hate running. If you're not into running, the likelihood is you don't like running and you're not into running because you don't like running but then the reason why we give that as a challenge is a it relates to as mark said a performance goal that gives you a good direction with your training especially if say your goal is fat loss it's a great way to increase your energy expenditure but 
also the reason why the majority of people who have started running are continuing to run as well is because people do just enjoy it right when people do learn how to run properly they learn like where to as i've just banged on about before where to draw their attention in a run and the positive rewards afterwards i'm very very big on believing that a run for me is one of the best ways for me to support my mental health like a long slow run just to zone out completely if you focus on your breath or you focus on your feet or you focus on the on like the scenery that can be almost like mindfulness and meditation as well that plus the endorphins the serotonin the dopamine afterwards that is a great way for people to feel good about themselves to improve the mental health but also a way that's going to kind of give them a performance focus to the training as well just for a wee experiment, um, can everyone in the room who does run or has run stand up for me? Um, anyone who started running inside the programme, sit down. So like anyone who didn't run before they joined the programme, sit down for me. Anyone who didn't run a competition based run before the programme, sit down for me. Okay. There's my point, community. The vast majority of people in the programme who now run um, started running because they've seen someone else inside the programme running. Um, and I think I can speak for a lot of the room and for myself personally, is that would I fuck have ever run? I used to drive to the shop that was literally beside my house. It was like a three minute walk and I used to drive to it and I would never identify as a runner. So I just decided that I wasn't the kind of person to run. Um, everything that you're told or everything that's kind of branded to you is that you need to have a runner's body, you need to have all these things that I didn't have and didn't believe that I could do. The difference was seeing other people in this community, people like me who thought the same things, who were then able to do it. Community is the key part because so many of the people in the room who are even now considering it, right, and thinking about it is only because they have seen other people doing it and are now curious. I wonder how that must feel if I started doing that, if they're able to do it and they're just like me, I must be able to do it too. Community not only breeds your belief in your ability to do something, but by simply being surrounded by people who have your desired behaviour, you are three times more likely to actually succeed in that established behaviour. That's why this isn't a one-to-one -one programme and it's a community, because your ability to adopt that behaviour is directly influenced by all the people you are surrounded with doing the same thing. And also, it feels fucking class. <laughs> like, see the person that you that you meet on the other side of that finish line. Anyone who's ever finished a race will know. Like, Andy Devine dragged me that whole fucking half marathon that I did last year. And I wouldn't, I honestly, she'll say, don't say this, right? I wouldn't have been able to do it without her because she pushed my belief when I didn't have it. And once I crossed that finish line and had the belief, that was all I needed. All I needed to do was meet the person on the other side of the finish line. So if that doesn't inspire you to start, I don't know what will. Start. Rudy will do your programme for the first start on Monday. Um, and just maybe one or two last things to add to that. It's accessible if you're busy. Really accessible if you're busy. And I don't like, I used to, in my bodybuilding building days, stay in the gym for like fucking two hours at a time. I still like being that sadistic, but being in the gym for two hours is fucking boring. So if I can run for like two, three, four hours, it's like I am pushing myself to like a limit mentally that I do enjoy. Not everyone's going to enjoy that, and I'm just going to say that just now, but I enjoy that. I enjoy going to that limit and testing it and seeing where it is. If you don't, 
you can obviously take things a bit lighter, but to be in the hurt locker for that long, we were actually, I tell the story we talked about in the podcast yesterday. Yeah. So basically, we were in Barca last week, obviously. Went out a run in the morning, and you know that we speak about the, the runner's belly. Basically, why shit yourself, right? <laughs> so I left, I left the apartment in the morning. I was running for, what, two hours, 20 minutes, um, and Jamie was going to go out like a 6K. So I was like, right, see you when I'm back. I get fucking down last rambless, and I'm like, fuck. Die for a shite. <laughs> so then I'm like, right, there's there's public toilets down at the down at the beach. So I'll go down to the public toilets, get the first public toilet, five k in, it's locked. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> How much longer am I going to be? They're all the way down the front. So I was like, I'll oh, just keep running down the beach. Just keep running down the beach. Keep running down the beach. Every fucker was locked. Right, ran past all the folk coming out of the clubs. It's early morning. And then I was like, right, I'll just run to seven o'clock and then I'll turn back because when I turn back, surely they're open at seven. I mean, come on, in Dubai, things are open fucking all the time. So I'm like, why is this place not open? So I get like seven miles away and then I'm like, right, time to run back. So then I'm running back for seven miles and the other four that already ran bursting for a shite. Sorry if I'm so graphic. Um, and I, I spoke about this through yesterday. Like I got like, what, 14 and a half miles. I had 30 minutes left to run, but I did get back to the apartment, went up, finally done the shite I needed. But see, running for that 11 and a half hours. I then went need, back out. And then went back out for another half an hour. But see, needing that shite for 11 and a half miles and having it hot that in, that was class. That was a fucking mental battle for me. I'm not even kidding on. I know it's sadistic, right? But that was a new challenge. That was a new challenge for me and I fucking loved it. I was like, right, just get another mile, just get another mile, then you can do a shite, just get another mile. And at one point, I think it was at mile 6.5, I was contemplating just fucking getting done and doing Shite, but then I was like, I'm not going there's cameras these days, I'll be cancelled if someone can catches this on camera. So I, I made it back, but even though it was a very graphic story, my point is I really enjoyed um, <laughs> I really enjoyed the shite eye, but I really enjoyed just fucking mentally being a battle with myself. He also had no electricity in his room, so he had to do the shite in the dark because the electricity was the one. Bless him. The harder the run, the better the growth. Um, next question. Like I said, anything. I'm not going to hold back. No, it's going to be like just um, How much stack would you put in like the metrics you get off like fitness watches and stuff? Like, for example, like I have like a Garmin. My body battery never ever charges to a hundred. No matter how like what I do, I, I can flatline at five and still feel great as well. Yeah. So like, how much stack do you put in it, and when should you listen, and when should you not? Yeah, I feel you. By the way, because my body battery is always fucked. Um, a lot of this comes into intuition. I mean, it depends on the device you're using, but in research, it's been proven that fitness devices can be up to ninety-three percent inaccurate. Like that's a lot. That's a lot, right? And usually, think of it from this perspective, right? You are your watches are based upon your heart rate, right? Just because your heart rate rises doesn't mean you're burning calories, more calories, right? So, for example, if you look at hormetic-based stresses like alcohol, drugs, smoking, gambling, right? You could be standing still gambling, your heart rate's through the roof because you're like, I want my coupon to come in. You remember those feelings when you put a coupon on? And there was one team that just had to bring like 500 quid in, you'd be buzzing until obviously it didn't happen and then you'd be fuming. So again, heart rate high, but just two different senses of emotions. It will tell you you're burning more calories because the heart rate's heightened, right? So what you have to take into consideration is that if that's giving you false feedback, then you will use that feedback that you're getting and that data you're getting to think that it's okay then potentially to consume more food off the back of it. This is where I see a lot of people go wrong. Like, okay, I've been given 2,000 calories, but I've actually burned 
3,000 calories a day, so I can surely just eat another 500 calories and I'm going to be in a 500 calorie deficit. And if it's 500 calories per pound, or sorry, if it's 500 calories for seven days and a deficit, which is 3,500 calories to lose a pound of fat, then I'll lose a pound of fat at the end of the week. So then they do that every single day and then they put on a pound and they're like, what the fuck happened? Right? Because they're relying on unreliable data. So what you have to consider is actually just building a sense of intuition. So look at the data, but only believe it if you feel it's correct. That's the best way I can put it, right? So asking yourself, right, this tells me that I'm flatlining and that I should not train today and I shouldn't go that run or I shouldn't try for PBs. Is that right? How do I feel, right? Or maybe if you're like, I'm not too sure yet, during your warm up, ask yourself again, how do I feel? I think I see this sometimes when my Garmin tells me, right, you're flatlining, your run today should be steady state, you should try and do six miles over fucking 90 minutes. And I was like, that's a walk, mate. <laughs> that's a walk, that's not a run. Um, I'm like, right, okay, I'll, I'll run, I'll start to go zone two and I'll see how I'm feeling. If I am feeling quite shitty, I'm like, okay, maybe it's just best to pull back today. Whereas if I'm like, this actually feels good, I'll keep going. But only obviously if it feels better at a lower pace, because I think especially something with running and even something with training as well, if you go in very, very intense, your adrenaline will go through the roof. And when your adrenaline goes through the roof, you're going to feel as if you're, it's manageable and that you feel good, but it's only because the adrenaline spikes so high. Right? So then what could happen off the flip side, just because you've got through the session, means that you can maybe be totally fucked after it once that drops off. So taking all these things into consideration and just asking yourself, is the data correct? based upon how I feel is the best way that you can go about it. That's just a lot of information, obviously, based upon the logistics of the watches and stuff themselves. But, Rue? Unless you had more to say. No, no, no. no. Um, you've got to remember that, that there is, for measuring like heart rate, body composition, anything, there is always going to be a gold standard. And then our whoops, our Garmin's, our shit bits, they're all there. Like, they're just the accessible, <laughs> it is shit. They are, they are the, they're just the accessible options. So they're possibly not going to be the most accurate and it's not something that you can dictate your training based off. A kind of, kind of caveat to that, would, I would say, would be strapped heart rate monitors or garments for training in certain training zones. I would say that's beneficial if you're doing like zone two cardio, zone three, zone four. Um, uh, a chest strap's gonna be more accurate usually than a Garmin or a Fitbit watch would be. Um, when it comes to like body calorimetry, so like the um, bioelectrical impedance, the scales which give you your, your body fat percentage, your fat-free mass and your weight, as long as you're measuring yourself on the same piece of equipment, so the exact same scale, then it may not be incredibly accurate, but the changes in body fat and changes in weight compared to the calibration of the machine are going to be the same. So it's not useful for tracking absolutes, but it's useful for tracking changes in your body fat percentage, in your body composition over time, bearing in mind these are going to be affected by like how much water you've got in you at the moment, your, your sleep state, because it's just a, 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 um, an impulse sent through your arms and your legs and it's your body fat percentage is basically measured by the speed of that impulse. So making sure you're at the same level of hydration, the same level of fedness after a pee and a poo in the morning when you do it, just to make sure you're getting accurate data each time. But then on anything, like your garments, your, your whoops, take it all with a pinch of salt. And as Mark said, all of your training, the goal should be to kind of make it become intuitive. Right? If we've heard a couple of times you're, you're kind of saying you're, you're redlining, but you might not feel like that. In that situation, don't listen to your watch, I think, right? That could be just kind of more limiting than anything. I would always try and work off the RPE system, how am I feeling today, check in with your energy. Do I feel like I can push it today? No, right, I'll pull back a bit. 
maybe check your watch or your data from that as kind of like a secondary source of information to confirm what you've thought yourself. But that is what I would say is kind of take it all with a pinch of salt. Who's next? Hi, um, that's probably more for Mark, but it's open-ended, so you guys might also have thoughts on it. Um, how do you guys feel about the state of like fitness influencers, particularly the image, the body image that they portray, which quite often is not attainable naturally, mm. particularly to, like young people? Very good question. We're all definitely going to have a a, a view on this. Yeah. So yeah, we did actually speak about this yesterday. Yeah. So. This is just going to be like the same stuff on another podcast. <laughs> you guys are asking good questions. Um, now, my opinion and my view of it is it's, it's destructive because it's more, it's more accessible now, right? So, have anyone, put your hand up if you've watched the new Arnold documentary on Netflix, right? Legend, legend, right? But seeing that, he's talking about the fact that he was saying to himself, I don't think I'm supposed to be from Austria. I think I should be from America. Like, I just don't feel like my, my parents are my parents. I think I've been adopted. I think I've been adopted from, from um, a family overseas. I really want to get to America. Like, I don't think I belong here because he started to see that the Polish way of life was just, you grow up, you get a job, like you have a family and, and that's you. And he was like, I don't think I want that anymore. Or I don't, don't think I've ever wanted that. So he used to put uh, pictures of bodybuilders up on his wall, right? And he used to look at them and say, I'm going to be world champion. One day I'm going to be a world champion bodybuilder. And he used to look up to a guy called Reg Park that was actually from Leeds. Yeah, there, Leeds representing, was actually from Leeds, um, who was like a bodybuilder back in the day, he was also an actor, he played Hercules at one point, and he said that he wanted to be like Reg Parker, he wanted to be in the movies, wanted to be a champion bodybuilder and all the rest of it. So he looked at that from a place of, I want to make that a career, right? And I want to I want to idealise these people and achieve these outcomes because that's what portrays a successful life to me, right? Which I don't think is particularly destructive when it's looked at like that. Like you're allowed to dream, you're allowed to have an idol, you're allowed to have focus. But see when all you see, and I think it's really important to know that what you usually see on social media, right, it's like the fucking 1%. I always say, like, when was the last time you walked up and down Buchanan Street and seen someone sexy as fuck, right? <laughs> we're in Glasgow, right? I'm sorry, but we're all fucking fives at best, right? <laughs> so when was the last time you seen three, four, five, six, fucking seven supermodels walking up and down Buchanan Street? You don't, right? It just doesn't happen. It's even like when I had this perception about going to Dubai, I thought it was just gonna be full of fucking cunts, right? The people that I don't like on social media, but it's not. Like, it's very rare that I'll see someone that's in great shape. And most of the time, if I do, it's actually at the gym. Most people that are out walking around are just normal, like you and I. It's very, very rare you see a huge amount of people together, like you do on social media with its accessibility, that you would look at and maybe compare yourself to, that push on this particular kind of body image that you should probably live up to and try and replicate to some degree. So I think when it's accessible and people aren't taught from a young age the importance of, the importance of managing their expectations with how it, uh, when it comes to how they look and how they perform and how they feel, I think because there's not enough education to, to battle it and the influences of social media and the influences of these kind of influencer type people, I don't think people really have, or the younger generation don't have the right information to make decisions based upon 
how they feel they should look in their own life because they've not had a fighting chance because they've been exposed to people from a very early age that they think they should look like and everyone else around them has been too so like the kids that bully them at school have been exposed to that too so they idealise the same image as someone else and if they don't feel like they look as good as the people that are bullying them they feel like they're never going to get to a place where they're going to be fully accepting of themselves or people are going to accept them for the way that they look that's why poor mental health and suicide rates are on the up even with children as well so I think there needs to be a far greater level of a boundary put in place for children that are exposed to these things I think there needs to be a far greater level of education put in place I think parents need to own up to the fact as well that they do give their children digital devices maybe sometimes for longer than they should and give them far greater access to things than they should right and i know kids will always fucking we were all kids once right we bastards kids will always try and run free and push the boundary and overstep the mark but you also have to as a parent do the best that you can to protect your kids from these things so i think there's things that need to be put in place to protect young teenagers young adults even people that are maybe younger than that that are accessing the, the internet to to be able to not be exposed to an image that potentially could be very unrealistic from where they they came from or the opportunities that they currently have and so that they don't idealise something that they can't achieve in the near future because again, everything for them will be based on the near future um, to protect just to protect them from from finding out who they truly are that's what I would say I could probably do a whole podcast episode on this because it won't su surprise you to know that it really fucks me off um, on several levels. So one thing is just the whole concept of influencing in general. I would always say remember that they're trying to sell you something. I think that's something that people forget quite a lot about influencers of any type. It's come and have a day in my life. Come and see my five to nine before my 95. There's always something that they're trying to sell you into in that moment, right? Which is probably something they have that's aspirational to you. So if they're trying to pretend to you that they get up at fucking five o'clock every single morning and do meditation and yoga and their full house is spotless and everything's clean and they're absolutely like stunning perfection and that their whole life is just grand and fabulous and then somebody in the comments might say oh wow I wish I could have your life and they're like oh not always like this lol well where are you showing that where are you showing your sink full of dishes right where are you showing the fact that you missed a gym session the other day because you're a fucking human being where are you showing the times that your period's so severe you can't even bear the concept of walking never mind running right my issue with it is that it doesn't ever dictate reality so what what it is is they sell you something that they make you believe is aspirational and unattainable for you but on the basis of the things that you don't like about yourself that's the bit that annoys me about it the most is it's never aspirational in terms of here is something that you could become on the basis of what I do is here's something I can sell you on the basis of the fact that you feel shit about yourself and I can sell you something and the promise that it's going to make you feel better about yourself if I see one more TikTok about fucking apple cider vinegar gummies let's just get this straight <laughs> they don't make you lose weight okay they're a fucking supplement like any other there is no pill that you can take that will help you to lose weight because see if there was guys I would look like Kate Moss a long fucking time ago okay see if there is ever a pill invented that I can take to be skinny you're fucking damn right I'm going to be on it right I'm joking that's not exactly true but if it existed and if it was out there I would fucking know about it 
So it's the preying upon people and selling things to them on the basis of the things that they hate about themselves. However, the other thing that I will say is that you influence your own algorithm. So if you're going and looking for these things and they're showing up and you think that they're landing on your doorstep, they're not. Because you need to remember that like, for these things to be sold to you, they need to know what you're interested in. They need to know what you're looking at. right? They need to know what you're searching for. They need to know what you're browsing. So ask yourself, what is it that is aspirational to me that I am going and looking in these things? And how do I create it for myself? Because there is no shit that an influencer can sell you that's going to help you find the things or create the things that you can actually create and find in yourself. Um, and just as an aside, there was a great, um, I don't know if it was like a mini documentary or something that was created ages ago. If I find it, I'll put it in the Facebook group um, or I'll post about it if I can find it somewhere. But it was basically this investigative mini documentary they did about influencers. So Lauren Goodger for Tibby was in it. And it was basically they were trying to get influencers to sell these supplements that they said had cyanide in the ingredients, right? And they had hidden cameras and she was saying, listen, they were like, so, I mean, you don't need to take it, but you just need to talk about the difference it's made. And she's like, yeah, honestly, don't worry about it. I'll just go on my story. Um, she was getting a percentage, obviously getting a cut for selling the supplement. She was like, yeah, I'll just go on my stories and talk about it and say that I've taken it and say that it's changed my life. And lo and behold, she goes on her Instagram stories talking about how incredible this supplement is, how much it's changed her physique, how much better she looks. And never realised the whole fucking time, the stupid cunt didn't realise the full fucking time it said cyanide on the ingredients. And she's like, yeah, cyanide's really good for your skin, really helps you with de-bloating, right? Not a fucking scooby. So see, once I seen that, I was like, yeah, none of these folk have even engaged with any of these things that they're trying to sell with you, uh, the sell, sell to you, um, so go and find those things, don't buy it from those silly cunts. Very true, I would like to add a, a side note, I want you all to remember that, see the people that work in the fitness industry, they're probably more insecure than you, oh, have hi. worse self-esteem, <laughs> exactly, have worse self-esteem than you guys, they're some of the most insecure people that need years of therapy that I've ever met in my entire life. Right? You can see from the way that they go about their business, the way that they sell their soul to sell products and make money, they don't have morals, they don't have values because they'll do anything for the recognition, the status that it gives them, the fame that it gives them, the wealth that it gives them. Right? So that's why when you actually come across people that you connect with in the fitness industry that are doing good things, you're, you're receptive of their message, you're receptive of what it is that they're telling you. you, you trust them because you can understand they're not disingenuous and they're not just trying to get a payday, they're actually trying to help you, but they understand that you need to swap value to actually get value from what it is that they tell you. You know, because you also need to invest in yourself and feel like you're handing something over to receive the value back. But if you don't feel like you're getting that with someone that's very disingenuous and someone that doesn't really look as if they live the same life behind the scenes than they're selling to you on the surface, you're really going to have a difficult time buying into what it is that they do. Or even if you do the first time and you get burned, because sometimes it pays to learn, if your granny's ever told you that, then you know you won't go back for a second time. So just remember that about a lot of people. If you see people looking for the status, looking for the fame, looking for the recognition, like see this fucking thing that I seen a fucking wheel the other day, right? And it was like how you set up your bench and it was just this lassie walking towards the bench, full arse just walking towards the bench. And I'm like, get your arse out of my picture. I just want to see your bench, bro, right? Show me your bench. It's ridiculous, right? Get your fucking arse planted on that bench and go take a fucking flying fuck to yourself, right? Nobody wants to see your arse. Simple. And just for a female balance, see if I see one more cunt cooking chicken with six pack out, right? <laughs> you can put on a t-shirt to do your meal prep, lads. You don't need to have it off. <laughs> Ryan, is that you, mate? <laughs> well, you're cooking your chicken, right? And Naomi's? <laughs> no? No? You got something to say? 
I've just felt somewhat violated by Jen. Oh. <laughs> we, we, actually, we actually just described Rue there. <laughs> Rue literally only has Instagram to post thirst traps, he's so. <laughs> I am partial to little thirst trap, but that is what I was going to say is also recognising. This is as far ahead as I am with sales at the moment. <laughs> Got the most likes. Um, but that's what I was going to say, and it's very in line with what Jen said is these people are trying to sell something based off their kind of. If they're selling a program, it will be based off their experience and, and how they have achieved this body in the past. And a lot of them, I'm not going to say all of them, because there's some people that I do see on social media and I look up to. I think there's a difference between comparing yourself to someone on social media and looking up to it as something that's achievable and seeing it as something that you want and that you want to be that image of someone. I do actually, on a little side note now, think less so possibly for guys, but more so like, the image now of, of like a, a female influencer isn't the the stick skinny smoking model that it was a couple of a few years ago. It's somewhat more muscular. It's somewhat stronger. Is it still unrealistic and bad to compare yourself to? Yes, but at least that that is a more healthy image, and it is kind of being more um, like all encompassing now as to what it was, but a lot of these people, not all of them, but a lot of these people have been on performance enhancing drugs and I think that's something that is very important to realise. There has been drugs in a lot of them, there has been plastic surgery in a lot of these people as well who aren't sharing that. I think the big issue for influencers comes down to when they're not transparent about things. If someone's taking drugs and they're claiming they're selling this programme, they're selling these supplements, not saying that they're taking drugs, that's, that's disingenuous. I don't, I don't appreciate that at all. On the other hand, if I see someone who is, as a guy, who is absolutely stacked and is open about the fact that they're taking performance enhancing drugs, I respect that massively because at least they're like showing you surface value exactly what they're doing. I also agree. Round of applause for that one. Okay, guys, we will take one more question. Power question. Who's stepping up to the mark? Good finishing question. Come on. Oh, there we go. Connor. We're Connor stepping up to the mark. Hi. Um, so this is to any of you, or all three. What advice would you give to somebody who has a friend network that they love, that they love the people in, but perhaps either passively or actively have quite a negative impact on their overall goals? Let me go first. So, I'm not just going to talk from personal experience, because I've been here multiple times before. I'm going to talk from a level of experience with clients as well. Now, there's multiple different things that you can do here. One thing that I've found to be very, very important throughout anything that you do in life, especially over the past number of years, is just your level of communication. So I think it's very important to have this almost, it's almost like a lost skill now. People aren't willing to be open and be honest and actually have a conversation around what the common problem is that you see in front of you. So my thing now is like, if you have a friendship circle or if you have people that are maybe not operating with your best interest at heart, communicating that to them and getting the feedback because this is how my mind works. When I think about situations like that, what I start to think about is if you do not openly communicate your feelings, your emotions, and what you think is happening to these people for them to either tell you if it's true, or if, if not, to reassure you, then you're always going to be overthinking things on a consistent basis. Now, that level of overthinking can lead to over, overuse of alcohol, overuse of drugs, overuse of gambling, overuse of food, poor sleep, high stress, means you don't perform elsewhere in your life, you don't have great fulfillment, you start to get snappy with your missus. All of these things, you see where 
all of these things can bleed into, right? Because you've got it in your mind too much, that then has a level of subconscious stress. That stress, depending on how you manage your triggers with your coping mechanisms, then might mean that you start to turn to all these things. And then you're not protecting yourself. So I always think, cut the cord and actually figure out whether or not this is what people are actively doing, or if they've actually just been operating from a place of, a place of maybe just having issues of their own. So going through this process of change, you'll usually find that people will only comment on what it is that you're doing because they either are stuck themselves and wish that they could do what you do, have what you have. So like I've been in situations where it's not even been fitness related, where people have fucking started to be really weird with me just because I've met a new partner, right? All of these things can have a, an impact on your friendship circle if you start to be around more people that you value based upon the things that you now value as well. And if it's not the same values that you used to have that these people still have, right? People can be so attached to their values when they were like 25 or 18 and they're fucking 30 years old now. And like I said earlier on, your values are always constantly changing. So for me, it's like, right, we might not be on the same, the same level right now for whatever reason, and you can't speculate, you can't accumulate, you can't assume. Let's figure out whether or not what I think is right or it is real, is real. So let me just ask this person, listen, I feel like this vibe's not been great recently. I don't want to come at this like, from any place of animosity, but I'm, I've been made feel like this because of X, Y, and Z actions. Could you just let me know how you are? Is there something up? Is there something I've done? Is there something that we need to talk about to resolve this? And they could come back and say to you, listen, pff, just don't fucking like you anymore. Cool. That then allows you to, it might be tough in the moment, right? But it severs the cord. It's like a relationship. So when you keep going back to a relationship and it's not working for you over time and you just do yourself more harm, it's the same thing with friendships. You'd rather cut the cord, take the pain now and move on from it rather than just dip back into consistent pain that just takes over your life and stops you from progressing. And then, if not, and they come back saying, I'm so sorry, by the way, I never realised I was doing that. Like, I would love to, to make up for it. I would love to make you feel better. It then means that you've got certainty, right? So they might be operating from a place of thinking that you have what they don't. Or they might also just be operating from a place of pure belief in what they feel is right. So like their life might be surrounded with negativity, beliefs that you shouldn't be working in yourself or things that you're doing aren't really things that are normal or should be within their world. So then they, as a result, try to put their opinions on you. And that's where it's very important to understand your boardroom members. So like who are my boardroom members? Who do I turn to for what thing? Like I would never turn to Rue for the, the care that I need off my mum, right? But I would turn to Rue if I wanted to fucking have some extra training advice or say, Rude, you want to look into my training a little bit more, mate? He's the guy to go for there. I wouldn't go to Jane for fucking running advice, right? But, <laughs> but I would go to Jane if I wanted cooking advice, life advice, like all of this sort of stuff. So knowing who your boardroom members are and understanding that you take each particular thing to them that's appropriate for their area of expertise and what they do well is really important to protect yourself too. So I would have the, the conversation, like I found just cutthroat communication is best. I know it can be difficult to lead up to, but if you think about it, it's really going to protect you long term because it's going to protect you from you going around in circles thinking and assuming what the issue is. And actually, if it's, it is an issue, then you can just sever the cord, move on and surround yourself with people that you actually value. I'll make this brief. Um, I think there's a few things to consider here. I think I always like to think about who are the friends who have loved me through every evolution of me. So who are my friends who have been there for me consistently through every single era of my life and every single version of me? Because those are the people who know who you are at your core. 
Um, and see, the thing is, see if the answer is, I don't have any of those friends now, that's okay, right? That means that now you know clearly who you are, you know what era of yourself you are in, so you know what you're looking for in another person. When you think about relationships, if you, like, first meet someone, you're, like, you're trying to get a better understanding of what are the traits that that, can, that person has that are attractive to me, what are the qualities that they have that are attractive to me, what is my type, who is the kind of person that I'm looking for. I think you should do the same thing for friends, because what you need to remember is that friendships are relationships like any other. They have their challenges, they have their issues. Um, there's a great podcast that Jean actually told me about called um, My Therapist Ghosted Me. And the two hosts of that said that if they ever fall out, they're going to couples therapy to talk it out and hash it out and work in their relationship because a friendship is a relationship like any other. And I think your friends who are there consistently through every evolution of your life, like I feel like I keep shouting King out and embarrassing her, but like when I was in an abusive relationship, nobody knew, I didn't even know, right? I was isolated away from everybody in my life and she used to just turn up at my house. She didn't know what was going on, but she knew that something wasn't right. Like it was just sheer instinct due to the fact that she's my best pal and has been for a very, very long time. She didn't know on paper, there wasn't detail. It was just instinct. And it's again, having those friends around me who I know are there for me through every era through every evolution but crucially I think you have different friends for different things so like you, you can't expect all your friends to be interested in the same things that you are you will have friends who are not interested in all that fitness shite you're doing right and that's okay you'll go and find new people who share that common interest with you and you'll have different groups of people with different shared interests the thing for me in the number one thing that always sticks out in my mind is does this person bring out the best in me if somebody brings out the best in me and I feel like I can be myself and I can be stupid because I really am, he'll tell you, I really am just a wee guy. Um, if I can just be daft and stupid and not have to worry about things and not have to worry about how I'm coming across, if that person brings out a part of me that is the best of me, then that's the kind of person that I want to be connected to. So know what you're looking for and people that you want to be around the same way you would in you know, like looking for a partner. Love it. I'm basically going to say very similar to what Mark and Jen have said, and just in my my own previous experience, so like I'm very lucky where I've had the same group of mates I've had since I was like 13. I mean, you're not still 13. Yeah, <laughs> mentally wise, but I've got the same group of friends had since we were 13. Like the sort of friends where I can go over to their parents' house and walk into their door, even if they're not in, and just sit down and have dinner with the parents. Like that's the sort of friendship group I have, and they've they are extremely extremely supportive to me because they know me through and through and I can be quite a complicated boy sometimes like they they understand that they know how to react to me in certain situations they know when to step back they know when to step forward that through the past three years for me has been like the key thing one of the key things which has kept my chin held high has been my friends that I've had for ages but on the other hand even though they are very helpful and I adore them and, and I'm massively grateful for them in one sense for me now wanting to push with my own business and coaching inside of things like that and to grow as a person and to cut out alcohol as much we were the friendship group who like our parents would be like i wish you were like your big brothers and big sisters because they're a lot calmer than you like we would go to house parties get drink as much as we can get absolutely smashed be dead rowdy that's why like they're helpful socially because like we've always been that group together we've done things together but now when i'm trying to push with something else for myself in my life like I realize that I'm being held back through the friends that I've had a strong connection with when I was like 14 it's difficult and what I've 
done is just what they've said is realize that like not no one person is going to give you everything like all of my friends bring me different aspects like i've got another friend who is respectful of me not drinking um so when i go to the pub and other people are kind of getting my ear a wee bit i'm very assertive with my communication style when i don't want to do something that shit stopped very quickly from my friends when they told me like giving us a bit of chat about not drinking that stopped very quickly i've got people within my group that I know I can rely on to stop drinking as well. I've got people in my friendship group who want to go and do the cold water dips with me and stuff. So it's the whole just kind of recognizing what each friend in your friendship group can be beneficial for and then pulling them up for that as well. And also what I've done is with me wanting to progress, like with my mindset, business side of things, I've got kind of a group in Newcastle and they are all older people that I am seeing more as like sort of mentors or people to get information from. But I've got another smaller group of influential people who I know I can talk to for advice. And they are my sort of source of Mark and Jen are in that group as well. I've not told them that it's not an official like group, but I have different people that I... I <laughs> it's, 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 called, it's, it's called the Built for Life group chat. You added me to it. Um, but I have certain people, kind of two friendship groups, which I can like, one which I can pull from, which is going to help me to push myself as a person, put me out of my comfort zone, kind of show me the light sort of way. And I've got my other friendship group, which is for when I want to kind of go back to being that little 15 year old and have that nice easy social aspect of things not that i can't have that with these two but it's, it's a different connection isn't it when you're like 14 and, and now so you draw different things from different groups of friends and different people yeah so guys that was the end of the coaching panel thank you so much for all your questions um, really good, some off the cuff ones there, hopefully you enjoyed that, hopefully you got a lot of benefit from it. So let's say over and out to the people on the podcast and give them a little cheer in three, two, one. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs>